0: Amen. Well, we're picking up our study in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to pick up the very uh, last verse that we looked at last week, which was chapter 9 of Mark, verse 1. It's a transitional verse. Uh, It's a verse that looks forward to the section we're looking at, and it also uh, looks forward even beyond to the ultimate uh, glory that is to come. But uh, that's where we're going to pick up right after uh, Peter has confessed Christ, right after Peter rebukes Christ and after Christ explains to his disciples in the crowd that they have to follow him to the cross, that they have to pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow him. And now we get a glimpse of glory in the transfiguration of Jesus. So Gospel of Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at the first 13 verses. Let's read God's word. Mark 9, verses 1 to 13. And he said to them, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written for him. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be gracious in helping us understand your word, that we would see and behold the glory of Jesus in it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can see, the fog is thick uh, here in Head, Maine. It has been quite nice over the past few days, but today we can barely see the ocean, um, and it's not very far away, about 100 yards or so out out our front door. You can see it, sort of, in the background there. Occasionally, a fog like this will stick around for a week or more. Uh, If you were to visit, and this was your entire vacation, you would be a bit discouraged and disappointed and begin to wonder, does the ocean really exist out there? Are there islands? But sometimes in the midst of those weeks, those fog-bound weeks, there'll be a day of promise where things look a little bit brighter and feel maybe the sun will peek itself out today. And when it does happen, when that that fog lifts, it's it's like a revelation. Brightness, ocean, islands, and it's quite majestic. But then it's often followed by a bank of fog rolling right back in. Well, what we have here in our text this morning is a bit like that experience. The fog is thick around the disciples and Jesus. There is a pall over them. After all, Jesus had just told them that he had to suffer and die and that they were to lift up their cross and follow him. It was a death march, a dying to self. But... Here, the clouds part, and Jesus reveals himself in all his radiance and glory to three of his disciples on that mountaintop. It was a revelation. It was a dose of glory to strengthen the disheartened disciples and give them courage on their journey to the cross. But it wasn't just a revelation for these three disciples. It's a revelation for us as well. While well, we have a fuller revelation, we, have, uh, we sit in a better place, if you will, than Peter, James and John in this moment, because we live on the other side of the cross, the other side of the resurrection and the ascension, and we see more clearly the things that, uh, that are going to happen and that do happen, nevertheless, nevertheless, our hearts also need a dose of Christ's glory, the beloved Son. We need to see him more clearly. Because I think that the fog, to use the illustration again, of our life is often so thick that we forget those eternal realities that are temporarily hidden behind the veil. And this is our aim this morning, to behold the glory of Jesus, the beloved Son of God. And we're going to just look at this in two parts First, I want us to see the unveiled. We want us to behold the unveiled glory of Jesus. And then, second, I want us to consider the veiled glory of the cross. I want us to behold God, Christ's glory in the cross. It's a veiled glory. So, those two things the unveiled glory that we see on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then as we look forward to the veiled glory of the cross. But first, the unveiled glory of Jesus. Six days after the confession of Peter and the subsequent teaching of Jesus on his suffering and dying. He takes three of his disciples, his most intimate uh, of friends, the ones closest to him, Peter, James, and John, and they go up onto a mountain. We aren't told what mountain it is. Tradition and scholars tend to think it's Mount Hermon, which rises just over 9,000 feet above sea level, and it sits between Syria and Israel, modern-day Syria and Israel, and they kind of share it as a border. Um, it's interesting that Mark notes that it was after six days. Now, if you'll have, if you've noticed, I've already mentioned this throughout our study in the Gospel of Mark, but Mark doesn't like to note time. He usually just says, and then or immediately or following. Everything is sort of squished. Time is, is relative, and, and he's pushing us toward the cross. But here he deliberately says, after. Six days. And this is significant, I think, um, because it alludes to another mountaintop experience back in Exodus when God revealed Himself and His covenant to the people of Israel. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 24, verse 16 and following. It says, The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Notice that in both cases, the glory of God is being revealed God's, to God's chosen servant. In the case of Exodus, it's revealed to Moses and to the people of Israel, and here it's to these three disciples. What's Mark teaching us? Why, 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 why sort of allude to this uh, event back in ancient Israel? I think Mark wants us to understand that what is happening on the mountaintop is none other than the glory of God being revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And there are three aspects of Jesus' glory that I want to highlight, that I I see in our text. The glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ revealed on this mountain. Three things. First, Jesus is the radiant one. Second, Jesus is the promised Messiah. And then third, Jesus is the Lord of glory. So first, Jesus is is the radiant one. The text says it very succinctly. He says he was transfigured before them. We aren't told the process of transfiguration. We're just said, We're just told he was transformed in an instant. And what we're told is that Jesus was radiant. It says his clothes became intensely white, a white beyond the capacity of anyone to bleach it. Any launderer who has the best bleach couldn't make a whiteness as bright as this, Matthew adds a little bit more detail in his accounting of the transfiguration. He says that his face shone like the sun. And he describes the clothes as if they were made of light. That kind of intensity. It's hard to imagine what it was like to be Peter, James, or John at that moment and the intensity that they saw. Calvin in his commentary points, uh, describes it this way. He says this, His transfiguration did not altogether enable His disciples to see Christ as He is now in heaven, but He gave them a taste of the boundless glory such as they were able to comprehend that His face shone like the sun. But now, as He sits, Calvin is saying, in heaven, He is far beyond the sun in brightness. In His raiment, an unusual and dazzling whiteness appeared, but now, where Christ sits currently in heaven, he has a raiment, a divine majesty that shines in his whole body. Thus, in ancient times, God appeared to the Holy Fathers, not as he was in himself, but so far as they could endure the rays of his infinite brightness. What, what's Calvin saying? What, what, what are we getting at here? Glory, throughout the Bible, you can see it is described often in two ways, as weightiness or heaviness, and as splendor or brightness. It was a few years ago now, but you'll remember that we had a solar eclipse across much of our country. It was an amazing phenomenon if you had an opportunity to catch a glimpse of it. But you'll also remember all the news reports that told us not to look directly at the the eclipse, Uh, unless it damaged our eyes. So we got our special glasses and we all uh, did different things. Some of us made cereal box viewers. Uh, The kids and I did that. Um, Why? So that our eyes wouldn't be damaged. When we think of the brightness and intensity of our sun, something we can't look at for any length of time without doing grave damage to our eyes, we start to understand the brilliance and radiance of our lord jesus christ but here and you i don't want you to miss this the radiance of jesus is a physical manifestation of the beauty purity holiness and perfection of god in other words his radiance is the manifestation of his person and character it's the sort of outward manifestation of all of who god is just as God appeared as the lawgiver and deliverer to Moses with thunder and fire in the glory cloud, under uh, in Christ his radiance speaks to his person. He is the Savior and Lord, the Son of Man who comes with the clouds. He is perfect and pure and beautiful and holy and just and righteous. And we're called to behold the radiant one. We read this earlier, but John puts it this way in his gospel. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, do you see Jesus in all his radiant splendor, the one who is full of grace and truth? But there's a second aspect to the unveiled glory of Jesus. He is the promised Messiah. There are two figures with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. And of course, these men, both of them met God on a mountain. Moses, of course, met with him at Mount Sinai when the law was revealed. And the, the, the revelation of who God's character is when Moses uh, was put in the cleft of the rock, as we were reminded of earlier, when God passed by him and said, I am the Lord, the, the Lord and Elijah also met with God on the mountain, and in that instance, God revealed himself in a still, small voice. Do you remember that? There was a large thunder, and God wasn't in the thunder. He wasn't in the light. He was in the still, small voice. God revealed to both Moses and Elijah in the Old Testament his glory. These two great prophets, Moses The covenant mediator and Elijah, the one who prepared the way for God's salvation as the great prophet, met with God on the mountain. But they themselves did not see the coming of the Messiah. No, Moses and Elijah, and you might categorize them as the law and the prophets, the whole of the Old Testament pointed forward to, looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. And here, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah stand as a testimony to the truth that everything that was promised of old was coming to pass in Jesus. The glory on Sinai did not compare to the glory now revealed in Jesus. The glory in that still small voice that caused Elijah to cover his face did not compare to the revelation of the Son of God. Here was the Messiah, the promised one, the very Son of God who would come and deliver God's people from their sin. What we have here is the confirmation that all the promises of the Old Testament are true. When Moses and Elijah stood by Jesus' side, it was saying, all those testimonies Those ancient testimonies of the prophets of old are true, and they're coming to pass now. There's a third aspect of Jesus' unveiled glory here in the transfiguration. He is the Lord of glory. A cloud descended on the mountaintop, just as in the days of Moses. As one commentator noted, the glory cloud was both the means of God's revelation and the concealment of God. God came near to reveal himself and his glory, but he graciously concealed the fullness of his glory so that God's people might not be consumed. We see this in at Mount Sinai. We see it here in the transfiguration. And the voice of God cries out and confirms the glory of his only begotten son. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You see, the father is telling the disciples, behold, here is the son of heaven, the Lord of glory to whom I have given all authority. Listen to him. Psalm 2 describes the authority. Hear these words from Psalm 2. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them, that is your enemies with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Very specifically, God says, Listen to my Son. Listen to Him. And what does that mean? Obey Him. Find refuge in Him. For He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, because He is the King, the Lord of glory. I think too often we find ourselves living in the fog. Life envelops our hearts and our minds, The world swirls around, blinding us to eternal realities. And I think we become discouraged. We can feel as though the path forward and following Jesus is too much, that the cost is too great. And it's precisely at this moment of discouragement in the lives of the disciples that they're given a glimpse of glory on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. The cloud gives way to the Son of Heaven that they might behold The reality of glory, the reality of who Jesus is, the very Son of God. And the question for you and I is, do you see Jesus for who he is? Do you know that the one whom we proclaim and worship this day is in fact the Son of the Most High, who is full of splendor and majesty, who is the promised Messiah, who is the Lord of glory? And do you know that blessed are all those who take refuge in him? Peter is there. He's overwhelmed by the radiance and glory presented to him. He's full of fear and trembling, and Peter can't help but talk. Some of us, unfortunately, talk, even when it's best to be silent. Nervous talking, I suppose. And I get this. I'm that kind of a guy. I don't like awkward silence. And I'd probably be up there jibber-jabbering. Peter is so overwhelmed by what he sees that he misses the point entirely. He's already forgotten what Jesus had just said about needing to suffer and die. And he's ready to usher in the kingdom on that mountaintop. He's ready to put up tents and say, Okay, this is the beginning of the kingdom. This is where God is going to dwell. Everything is good from here on out. Let's just stay right here and build these tabernacles for you. Maybe he hasn't forgotten what Jesus said about suffering and dying. Maybe he's hoping that Jesus has forgotten. (laughs) Maybe he's hoping that all that suffering and dying stuff can go away and that they can just live forever on that mountaintop. Well, whatever the case might be, he's ready to stay up there. The problem is that there is another glory yet to be revealed. And as quickly as Jesus was transfigured, He was veiled once again in the flesh of Adam. And this is my second and final thought. Behold the veiled glory of the cross. Jesus gave a glimpse of his glory to encourage the disciples as they proceeded to the cross. It was a foretaste of the glory that was to ultimately come when Christ ultimately returns But between the transfiguration and the second coming, there was a glory of a different type. As they were coming down the mountain, once again, Jesus tells them to remain silent. Uh, This glimpse of glory was for them at this moment. And it wasn't for anybody else. And so they, they, they treasured it up in their hearts. They thought about it. And they would later declare it after Christ was risen from the dead. And we've looked at this quite at length, but the silence was on account of the mission of Jesus. It was a mission that he had to go to the cross, and it was a mission that his disciples were still struggling to comprehend. They didn't understand his words about rising again, because they did not fully come to terms with his dying. They understood generally about the resurrection of the dead. That was well embedded in their thinking. And they were trying to figure out, well, when Jesus says, don't say anything about this transfiguration until after the resurrection, what what does Jesus mean? What's coming next? So they they had some questions, and the disciples took a roundabout way of trying to understand it. They asked a question about Elijah. Elijah. It was understood by the scribes that Elijah had to precede the Messiah. Precede the Messiah. And if uh, the resurrection of the dead was imminent, as Jesus seemed to be indicating here, though they didn't completely understand what he was saying. But if Jesus is in fact the Christ, as confirmed by Peter's confession that we looked at last week, and as they had just witnessed the glory of the Messiah on the mountaintop, then the question was, Where was Elijah? Wasn't Elijah supposed to come first? And Jesus says yes. He confirms that. Elijah comes first. He comes first to restore all things. He comes to call people to repentance. Of course, Jesus is referring to the ministry of John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for him. But then Jesus in answering the question, takes a turn to the task that was before them. He says what he said before they had gone up on the mountain. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? He was reminding them of his mission as the suffering servant to go to the cross and to die. He is saying that the time is at hand for the coming of the kingdom. I'm going to suffer. Just as John slash the second Elijah, John the Baptist, suffered at the hands of Herod and Herodias and lost his head, so too I have to suffer and die. And here's the thing. Jesus and the disciples were coming down the mountain. They didn't stay on the mountaintop. Despite their desire to remain on the mountain in the state of exalted glory, there was a different glory to be revealed. An ironic glory of suffering and death. But make no mistake, the cross is as majestic as the transfiguration. Maybe not in its outward manifestation. There was no brightness. It was darkness. There was was no glory and beauty. It was ugly. It was ignominy. It was shame and suffering and corruption. It was full of sin. And it was the wrath of God being poured out and death itself coming. But don't miss it. It is glory. It is the glory of God's grace. It is the glory of the steadfast love of Jesus for sinners like you and me who have no right to, No right to dwell on that mountaintop with the radiant Son of God. It is the glory of justice and mercy meeting to bring about our salvation. It is the glory of the sacrifice of God for you and me. And the question is, have you beheld the glory of the Lamb of God, the one who takes away our sins? The one who suffered and died that we might enjoy the full presence of God. Friends, there is a great pall, an impenetrable fog covering humanity. It is the pall of sin and it envelops each and every one of us. But the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ is that it bursts. Through the dense fog, it casts aside the clouds of sin and death, and it shines forth the wondrous glory of Jesus. Have you beheld his glory? The glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that oftentimes we feel as though we are Surrounded in the mist, and it's hard for us to see, but Lord, You have revealed Yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank You for the revelation that John and Peter and James beheld on that mountaintop and the hope of glory that we have to come. But Lord, we thank You for the glory of the cross that enables us to enjoy that future glory. We thank You for the salvation that is ours through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. May all praise be to Him. Amen.